I think this was the first time that I arrived at a station and before I even had my coat off, the general manager was showing me historical documents. <laughs> so she'd done her research about me and so she, she pulled out some history artifacts. So it was exciting. On this edition of Radio Survivor, Jennifer Waits shares her 99th radio station tour. What will number 100 be? And then we hear about podcasts that might never exist if radio were their only available outlet. The nature of the podcast itself could get me in trouble. There's a possibility that if the people I work for found out that I was doing it, uh, they would fire me. Eric has interviews with these podcasters from our last episode. Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Eric Klein. I'm one of your host producers of the program. My name is Paul Reismandel, and I'm your other host and producer. And on today's uh, program, we're actually presenting what, what has become known amongst between uh, Eric and me <laughs> as the lost, the lost ep- episode. episode. Uh, so we'll talk about it in a minute or two. But first, I want to give a, uh, a quick uh, warning that there will be some naughty language, some frank discussion of sexuality, as well as some uh, very critical uh, discussion of religion, uh, Christianity in particular, coming up in a show. So if that's the sort of thing that you may not want to hear or share with the other people around you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if, if you might find it offensive or people around you might find it offensive, we want to let you know now. We will do College Radio Watch first, so that if you don't want to hear that, you can... Well, College Radio Watch is nothing to spin on today. Exactly, exactly. It's the 90... 99th. 99th. Yes. College Radio, or small radio station tour that Jennifer Waits has conducted. Uh, what a project, and it's reaching uh, such a special milestone, because when she gets to the 100th tour, that'll, that'll be something that we're... Uh, that we'll celebrate, and you'll yeah. you'll you'll hear next week on the show. So you do want to, and and it will not be revealed ahead of time. So it's going to be a simultaneous reveal with on on the show and uh, Jennifer publishing because she always writes up a very nice uh, tour diary uh, that she'll also be publishing at radiosurvivor.com. hashtag one hundred radio tours. If you have a guess as to what station might make it uh, as uh, worthy. Of Jennifer's 100th station tour, you might want to wait till after you hear uh, this segment because <laughs> it might give you a little, might give you a clue, it might not. We don't know. Eric and I actually don't know what it is, so we are as in the dark as you are. We can Gosh, form true. our guesses. Uh, Jennifer's been very stealthy about uh, keeping it under wraps. It's nice to have, uh, yeah, some some things left left, left to, open, some yeah. mystery. Yeah, so we're going to do that first, and then uh, just briefly, we want to preview that topic, though, so you know what the what the rest will be about. And and it's roughly uh, about. Uh, well, actually, Eric, I'd like you to tell us sure. what it's about. Well, uh, as as sometimes happens, it starts with the idea that I I I want to ask people uh, questions, individuals, and so it begun. It began uh, roughly six months ago, back in December of 2015, uh, with um, a podcaster that I only knew through uh, the work in his of his podcast, who who I was interested in, and I wanted to know, I wanted to know more of his story to find out why he was making this particular kind of podcast because it was a sort of thing that uh, uh, was a one of a kind uh, show. And his his program his his podcast is called Reading the Bible with Dan. And I should mention now that since 
uh, reaching out to him as a stranger to to ask him about his show, uh, we've become friends here in Portland. So now uh, Dan and I are are uh, podcasting coworkers, as it were, at the Kickstand Comedy Space, which is a not a coincidence, I'm sure, but I should mention it. Full disclosure. But back back in uh, 2015, I wanted to find out what 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 was driving Dan to create such a interesting podcast and his podcast is a uh, um it's called reading the bible with dan dan weber is a stand-up comedian and he will uh read a uh read a a uh what's it's not a chapter it's a, a verse yeah but all the whole thing okay so it is a chapter yeah he'll read a full chapter of the bible and uh using the uh creative commons version so that he doesn't violate anyone's copyrights and then he'll uh add his commentary uh, based on the line by line reading of what's going on, so he will uh, comment on the characters, the 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 historical people, the 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 facts of the story, and then the ideas that they bring up, uh, all as a stand up. But but it's a stand up comedian. Yes. Yes. So so the the thing that we want to note is that his commentary is critical and hypercritical. Hypercritical. Uh, so profane people will learn more, but, uh, but so, uh, so that's where that was the first interview. Yeah. So the in first the, interview, in but, but can you give us the overview of what, what, what ties, we're going to have yeah. three interviews, what ties it all together. So then I proceeded to, uh, talk to two other podcasters who create, uh, also, uh, have their own, uh, individual work that is, um, also outside of the mainstream is, I guess one of the easy ways to put it. And so what was driving me when I made it before was like the idea that was in my mind in all three interviews was this is, this is a fascinating podcast that you make. It's interesting to me that if you had uh, been driven to create this work in uh, 1999, say, and tried to get it on a community radio station, uh, you probably would have uh, had a real uphill struggle and uh, given up at some point and not produced this audio content for anybody, and now because of uh, because of what podcasting offers, uh, people who have things to say, um, these things exist, and so that was that was the gist of what was in my mind. I talked to a uh, one producer of a podcast that is a sex positive podcast, which is probably the least controversial of the three, and then I also spoke with uh, another stand up comedian who has a podcast called um, Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction, which is a a stand-up comedian's uh, project where uh, they come in and they write um, extremely profane, erotic fan fiction. So uh, mashing up uh, corporately owned characters for the most part and historical figures with the most uh, explicit uh, comedy slash sexual fantasies okay so that's that, that that's what we'll hear about later in the show so as we mentioned <laughs> uh there will be frank talk and we discuss a little bit we feel like uh we'd rather allow folks to talk as they do and to present this material as it is rather than try to kind of clean it up to make it uh family friendly we think uh giving you the disclaimer up front as they do yeah. in many other podcasts the slate podcasts do that in particular uh letting you know up front that there'll be yeah. some some challenging material later on allows that, you to make that decision another for thing that was driving me that as you've been forcing me to speak out loud when i was doing this work is that when i was at a radio station a big community radio station where free speech was often part of the uh tagline of the sh- of of the entire network uh, that i worked at i would not have touched 
these producers, these, I would not have tried to put these interviews on the air, uh, because I wouldn't have wanted to upset anyone or put the station at risk or rocked any boats. And so for me, it was also uh, a little bit, uh, titillating, a little bit uh, tantalizing to get to, to get to record a radio interview, uh, with people who, who don't have to have that filter on their work. And it was a way for me to let go of that filter as well. And now it's time for College Radio Watch with Jennifer Waits, who joins us via the interwebs from San Francisco, California. Welcome, Jennifer. Greetings. And uh, this week you have another college radio tour. You, you went on kind of a spree on the East Coast. Last week you shared a tour with uh, Brooklyn College Radio, WBCR. And this week you have another station to share from the New York area. What's that? Yes, I went to visit Hunter College Radio, which is WHCS, and that at times has has stood for when Hunter College speaks, hmm. and it is a station on the upper Upper East Side, and actually like Brooklyn College, it's a station with live shows only on weekdays, and it's also part of the City University of New York system. So kind of a pair of stations with some similar elements. They both, um, they both are at schools that may have had radio classes in the 1940s, and they both may have started as stations around 1968. So some parallel, parallel details, wow. but and, also some differences. And at Hunter there, uh, we're talking about student, student hosts of talk programs? Um, yeah, it's, it's a student station. It's talk shows and music shows a variety of shows, including met shows about metal, um, actually quite a range of talk shows from, you know, different topical and political topics. And it's all broadcasting from their, I thought it was Upper East Side, but I think they also listed Midtown on their station's website. So I don't know. I'm not from New York, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of up there. And, and so they have a terrestrial signal? Um, no, they are online only, okay. but at, in the past they had a carrier current frequency. I see. And so maybe they have a couple of uh, studios in different places because it's not, a, not uncommon for a, a campus often to have, or a college to have a couple of different campuses, uh, you know, like sort of like Loyola university in right. Chicago has Especially a downtown a campus city. as well as a, a far North side campus. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're in a building that has sort of, um, old and new sections. So yeah. the old part of the building looks quite old, um, which is pretty neat actually to see the Hunter college dates back to the late 1800s. So this was your 99th station I tour know. that you're writing up. Epic number 99. And, um, and it was pretty cool. It was kind of a tour that I wasn't sure if it was going to happen because I was having a hard time getting in touch with anybody at the station. So it was sort of a last minute Saturday morning tour um, and like I mentioned, they don't have live DJs on the weekends. So it was great that the general manager, Sarah Centenary, came into the city. She actually lives 45 oh. minutes away. She didn't try to convince you that there was nothing to see? Uh, yeah, to see that there was nothing to see. There was plenty to see. Um, but it's a it's a commuter campus. So um, that's that's another interesting part about the station is that people just aren't around on the weekend. I think this was the first time that I arrived at a station and I, I'm writing in my piece that before I even had my coat off, 
the general manager was showing me historical documents. <laughs> so <laughs> she had, um, she'd done her research about me. And so she, she pulled out some history artifacts. So What'd she show it you? Was exciting. She had some file folders. Um, one of it, one of which said blueprints on it. So it was blueprints from a station remodel in 1971. Mm. Um, she also had an old intercollegiate broadcasting system manual from 1971 that was, uh, you know, kind of water damaged, but I was really excited to see it because um, it was basically something that would have been sent to IBS member stations with like all kinds of articles about college radio and carrier current. Um, so it was, it was more information that I could actually digest, <laughs> but I was excited to see it. And then she had these mysterious captions for an exhibit about the history of the station and you know, it was all kind of fast and furious. So I don't know if she had the corresponding artifacts that oh, went with so, the so captions. It was just the captions. <laughs> well, I'm not sure because <laughs> I only have photos of the captions. So that's all you saw though, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit like all, Garfield without Garfield. I know. Well, I, yeah, that's all I think I saw um, because she had so much stuff and I didn't have time to really take pictures of it all and process it all. But I knew I wanted to take pictures of the captions because I figured that would be helpful information later. Um, yeah, so she didn't even know. She wasn't sure, you know. She's like, yeah, I'm not even sure what this exhibit was exactly. But it seems like the station had found some interesting artifacts when they were remodeling or moving. And so they, from what I can gather, they displayed things around the station with these captions. So Got it. it was about things like, you know, interesting record cover, um, you know, perhaps things like the blueprints. And then also in one of her folders, she had some, a letter that referenced the city university of New York working towards creating a network of stations in the 1970s, oh. uh, the Cooney radio network, wow. which it sounds like that still exists today, not necessarily the way it was envisioned, but um, do you have a sense of what was envisioned then? Did, did you, did you get an idea of that? Yeah, it was part of, um, I mean, there were there were a few aspects to it. They wanted to partner with uh, an FM station, like a 50,000-watt FM station, in order to be able to broadcast to the whole city. Huh. And they envisioned having the ability for, say, existing carrier current stations at City of New York stations. Um, to be able to utilize that FM signal as well. So kind of like a, almost like a time-sharing thing. They might each contribute some programming. Yeah. Um, and so part of the letter, it was, the letter was from 1971, um, written by the director of City University Radio, Peter Edelstein. Um, and he said this was all part of a broader campus communications plan too. And in the letter he writes, a radio station with its broadest goal being public information about the university and its activities could only help. It would achieve the dialogue called for by the Henderson Commission, the temporary commission to study the causes of campus unrest among students, parents, and administrators of our colleges. Wow. It's only feasible day-to-day -day basis for reaching all segments of the commuter population of your college's students and staff. That, to me, was super interesting, and I, I definitely want to do more research about about that. Um, and this was I, 1971? 
Is that correct? Yeah. yeah so this would yeah. have been, yeah, right, right on sort of the the tail end of a lot of campus unrest around the uh, Vietnam War and yeah, civil rights, the Weatherman era. Yeah. Yeah, because I've been um, I've been curious about, but I haven't had time to really dig into the role of college radio stations during that period of unrest. And I guess I'd always assumed that that campuses might have been worried or suspicious about college radio. And so this to me was was rather interesting that it was the complete, at least at this location, that there was an interest in using radio to bring people together and to you know, make for better communication. Yeah. But I wonder if it, I, we, since we don't have access to the report they reference, I wonder if there wasn't, if their goals were to be a bit more programmatic, you know, not so much let the students loose, but to, to keep it constrained and more, uh, more supervised might, might've been uh, part of their plan. Yeah. I don't know. I'm definitely going to try. I haven't even tried to look for the report yet, but, um, but I want to. I want to see what all that is all about. Yeah, and that's pretty fascinating, this idea of, of a CUNY radio network to me because uh, City University of New York, for people who may not be aware, I mean, so they're mostly commuter campuses and they're mostly uh, – the point is basically – to, to really bring in first generation college students. So, you know, it, it, it's, 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 you know, functions in a way that a lot of times in a lot of cities, a community college system might only uh, CUNY awards, uh, you know, four year degrees and graduate degrees as well. But it's, it's, it's intended to be highly accessible education for your education for uh, often lower income students or, or uh, you know, students who are recent immigrants or, or whose parents, you know, their first generation in the United States or, you know, also first generation college students. So it's interesting to me to, to sort of uh, to meld that mission of highly accessible higher education with this idea that there would be then this sort of citywide uh, communication, right. And dialogue that, that comes out of these colleges, which are, are, are not intended to be elite serving institutions like say, maybe at like a Columbia university, which is an Ivy league. And then, so does anything else sort of stand out uh, there at the, at the Hunter college station in your tour, anything about the station uh, maybe in, in, in its physical layout or anything like that? Well, so the station had actually moved in the past few years and Sarah, the GM who, who I talked to there, she'd been at the station for five years, but she happened to be studying abroad when the station was moved. So it sounds like that was kind of a dark period and Mm. some things got lost in the shuffle. Mm. Um, And so they're in a much smaller space than they used to be in. Well, so they're next to a cafeteria um, and I guess there's also a bathroom maybe next to the station, next to one of the solid walls of the station. And apparently when they first got moved in, there was not proper soundproofing. So they were hearing <laughs> toilet noises. Oy. So that's talk, not good. Talk about toilet talk on the radio. I know. So they had some, so there were some issues with the move where they had, you know, they had to resolve some sound issues, um, the studio looks out over this cafeteria space that apparently is now actually being used as a dance space. But Sarah was telling me she was just amazed at the enthusiasm of the students at the station that despite some of these challenges, including being off the air for a year during the whole Mm. move, um, despite all of that, they had really high levels of participation and, and then she showed me this video that that was created upon the station's return, and people at the station created a zombie video 
called WHCS Radio Back from the Dead. <laughs> and, and it's amazing. And it's people from the station wearing zombie makeup and they do a thriller dance at the end. Um, and it's it's quite joyful. Will, will <laughs> so, we have a link to that in the show notes, I hope? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> yes, you'll, so, you'll be publishing so, that soon, right? Yes. Um, Paul is always asking, like, what did you see that was unique? So I think that was unique. It's I think that's the first time I've seen a radio station zombie video. Now, after this, it's going to be number 100. Tour number 100. Wow. Let me ask. I know. Let me let I'm me already ask, getting nervous. Without without any spoilers about the specifics of the station that you're going to be writing up, number 100, the tour, What what is this all about? What is number 100 about? <laughs> what is it all about? It's, I mean, I guess in theory it should be the most epic tour ever, right? I don't know. There's a right, lot of but pressure. But every station is uh, is its own humble thing. You it's can't, a special flower. You can't go one. to the biggest, the you know, the top. There's no number one community radio station. It's so, so, uh, I, with, yeah, without, without spoiling the specific choice, I, I want to know more about, um, <laughs> The, the, how how am I determining number one hundred? And also, yeah. like, what's going what's going into it? <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's a station that I have not visited before. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe if you're looking for clues, um, you know, for the longest time, I really have just been writing station tours up in order. So there's no rhyme or reason necessarily to the numbering system. But when I was approaching the 50th tour, I put a little thought into it. And in my mind, I was thinking 50 should have something special about it. Mm -hmm. So when I was approaching 100, I had a similar idea in mind. Um, What was number 50? It was the St. Mary's College Station in Moraga. Um, Moraga? Moraga, California. Okay. And um, what was special about that? Why did you choose it for 50? I chose that one for 50 because it was, I had a couple of visits um, that were spread out by, I don't know, a few months, a couple of visits a few months apart, and the station had moved in the process. So I had visited once and then was waiting around for information about the station's history. And, and it took so long that by the time I was ready to write it up, um, the station was moving. And so I ended up going back and talking to a few more people. So it felt like a very epic project because it had taken a while to write mm-hmm. it up. Mm-hmm. So it it seemed fitting to make it number 50. And it had some interesting history um, and the somebody there had been involved with the station when he was an undergraduate and he had a big old binder full of information that he lent me that had some memos about, you know, a band on playing punk rock music. And, <laughs> and so, so we'll have to definitely link to number 50 <laughs> there. Uh, so yeah. people can catch up on that in, in the show notes as well. Yeah. So that it just, since that one took a while and since I had all this kind of extra background research that I got to do, it seemed like a good one to ah, do for 50. So partly, it's not just about uh, visiting a station on a particular day. There's there's a lot of um, you put a lot of energy into 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 what it all means, what the history of that place was. So I I'm going to now. You don't have to you don't have to let me know if I'm right, but I'm going to assume that number one hundred is going to be um, is going to be heavy on the history angle 
of the particular station that that we end up learning more about through your through your write up of that tour. That's my guess. Maybe, maybe but you know, ninety eight and ninety nine, I talked a lot about history on the podcast. You know, the past two uh-huh. weeks, so that's definitely something I'm interested in right now. And and anytime I visit a station, I try to dig up some history. So yeah, and of course that's that's sort of. Um, that's what's really important about the work that you're doing is that the history of college radio is um, is sort of an underwatered uh, tree, as it were. It, it's certainly, uh, well, gosh, it's a more of an invisible uh, trickle that that hears all this hidden history onto uh, what's gone into making radio at the college level in the United States, and it's not been as well documented as maybe it, it deserves. And that's oh, that's yeah, the work definitely. that you've been doing now for nigh on a decade. <laughs> and you know what? I really I I need to point out something else about the Hunter College tour. Oh. Um I mentioned the Radio Preservation Task Force conference that I was about to go to the following week and actually inspired the general manager of the Hunter College station to attend the oh. Radio wow. Preservation Task well Force conference. So spreading the love. Yeah, that's why we uh that's why we meet in person. Yeah. Yeah. So I figured anybody who's going to bring out a big binder and, you know, folders full of stuff. And coincidentally, she was planning to be in D.C. that weekend of the conference. Um, And I was so thrilled to see her at the conference. And I mean, that's that's kind of my dream is to get more people (laughs) engaged with college radio history. Absolutely. Cultivating the next generation of college radio historians and archivists. That's wonderful. Um, we, we definitely would like uh, Radio Survivor listeners to participate in the guessing game here. Uh, you can tweet at us. Uh, we're using the hashtag 100RadioTour. Uh, hashtag 100RadioTours. Sorry. Hashtag 100RadioTours. Give us your guesses. And uh, if someone guesses right, uh, well, we'll, we'll do something nice for you. We haven't figured it out yet, but we'll, we'll do something nice. Or you can uh, put on our Facebook page as well. Share that, share that guess. And uh, certainly if you, if you guess right, uh, we will lodge you on, on the show here. We, you will get your kudos. You'll get your, your shout outs. Yeah, you can use the hashtag to guess. I'm going to use the hashtag to dig into uh, the, all of the existing uh, tours that are up there at the Radio Survivor website and uh, finding, finding things worth tweeting. And then, uh, and putting it under that hashtag. So, one hundred radio tours. Yeah, and you can read uh, this tour, uh, the mo- the one we were talking about again, uh, from uh, Hunter College in New York City. Uh, go to radiosurvivor dot com. Click on College Radio on the main menu there, and you will be able to read Jennifer's tour. Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Sure, I can't wait to meet again for number one hundred. Indeed. Talk to you soon. See you next week. All righty. Thanks so much to Jennifer for College Radio Watch Station Tour number 99. Tune in next week for number 100. We're looking forward to that. The lost episode of Radio Survivor. So... the reason why it's a lost episode is... I like the fact that we... I, I'm just so pleased that there is one. Yes, right. Like, it, Already. It's, like, it's better that there is a lost episode than that there isn't. So mm. uh, nothing pleases me more than the fact that I put in the work and then uh, the, and then we had reasons to lose it. And it was... Uh, on the, I mean, so one of the simplest reasons is that uh, we wondered about presenting sort of more 
adult content because this show, the premise, I have no problem with adult content podcasts, um, but I, I'm I sort of reticent to surprise somebody with it on the one hand. Or, you know, to risk sort of losing listeners uh, simply because of that. And, and, and so it's not a matter of that we shouldn't present things that might be challenging and, and, and some people might consider offensive, but that we should have a very good reason for doing so. And, and at the time that, that you brought the, uh, the, this program forward, I think the thinking around it was a little looser. It wasn't clear to me yet. Um, and, and sort of the, the, the frame you presented, Eric, was these are shows that might not be on radio, right, as, as you mentioned before. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, there's a lot of shows that – I mean it almost you know, with podcasting, part of a lot of people's conception around it and a frame for it is these are shows that wouldn't be on a radio. So to me, that it was almost a little too loose, right? There's, yeah, you could have – yeah, we could have uh... – could have gone on for a long time if that was the only criteria. Or the question is why these shows, right? right? Um, and and so with it, and in the balance and it being sort of unclear, uh, you know, and, and I you know I talk with you, so I I, I hope I, I don't think I made a, uh, a like a, a, a oh veto. gosh no no yeah. if, if the listeners must know uh, I was like hey I made this thing and I'm actually concerned that it might not be uh, it might not be right. For Radio Survivor, I made it because I wanted to make it, and now I want to make sure that it's okay. So then I asked you to to answer that question: Is this okay? Yeah, and and I wasn't sure, so it wasn't a no so much as a uh, it needs to have I think the proper frame, and so uh, I re- decided to go back and take another listen many months later. So with a clear head, forgetting what 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 it sounded like to get a sense for it. And I think that the frame of uh, that these are shows that would not be on the radio, most likely, um, is is the less precise frame. Because there, there's something interesting here that I think about podcasting uh, that sometimes gets lost, a, a frame about podcasting. Mm-hmm. So, yes, podcasting is like radio. And some people say, well, it's like pirate radio from the standpoint is you don't need permission to do it. You don't need a license. Uh, there's pretty much no restrictions on content by and large. Uh, so from that standpoint, yes, except, and this is a critical difference between radio and podcasting. It is nearly impossible to listen to a podcast by accident. And so when thinking about these shows that, that, that uh, the podcasters you talked with who are doing shows about sex, uh, which Many people would consider profane. They might even consider indecent, might consider offensive. And then as someone who does a show about religion, uh, which which some people who are Christian might find very offensive. I think all those adjectives uh, still apply. Profane, yeah. indecent, and offensive. Exactly. Uh, you know, but it's unlikely that anyone's going to hear that show by accident. Right. If they were on the radio, it is possible someone would, would – be subjected to it by accident. There's an interesting uh, crossover in this Venn diagram, though, is that a lo- what also concerns people about about uh, profane, indecent, and offensive radio content is that it might be uh, l- children might find it. Right, children might find offensive podcasting too. They might. I mean, they they and might find 20, it on their own. It's interesting that in 2016 we haven't had that. Uh, that moral panic. Well, I believe – well, one, I believe in iTunes you can set – for your kids, you can set a uh, – uh, basically a parental filter. And okay. iTunes asks you to to mark if your, your kids 
only use the podcast. Sure, I mean, app on right, exactly. ITunes. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of more. I think there is a lot of moral panic about the internet, but it's been. Huh, I haven't uh, dug into there. There was a lot of it. There was uh, in in 1997 as part of the right. Digital pre, Millennium Copyright Act, pre podcast certainly, right? Because I think where's pod- the podcast moral panic? Well, because I think people have much more of a moral panic about explicit pornography, visual pornography, uh, and videos and things like this. So podcasting falls low on that list, right? <laughs> it's, it's way up in the, in the tree. There's some lower hanging moral panic. I'm sure freak. there's somebody who gets upset, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but, but it's out of the way, right? It, it, it's comparatively out of the way. You're um, saying that, that radio is easier to stumble upon. Right. And, and, and in fact, that is in whether or not we agree with it, that is the logic behind, uh, the, the major Supreme Court decision, FCC v. Pacifica, often called the seven dirty words case, even though that's not really precise. Because the man who who brought that lawsuit against WBAI says he was driving in his car with his kid. His kid was exposed. It was his son, I believe, right? Yes. It would, well, he didn't bring the suit. He He's the one who filed the complaint with the FCC. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah. He filed the complaint with the FCC. He said, I heard George Carlin's uh, skit, Seven Dirty Words, that you can't say on on, on the tele, on television. And these words were not bleeped. Right. And they were not bleeped. Of course, it's it, if anyone's ever heard it, and it's, you know, I would expect a lot of people who are in radio have heard it. The whole intention behind the piece is to point out the absurdity of banning particular words or particular words in particular ways. Um, but ultimately, uh, the case went to the Supreme Court. Pacifica fought this fine from the FCC and said the FCC should not be uh, censoring content. And it's a serious content. It may have these words, but it is serious. Ultimately, the Supreme Court decides, no, the FCC may police content for the purpose specifically of protecting children or unwitting listeners from offensive content. Uh, But, and this is an important but, that also the FCC may not prohibit it universally. And so that's we have born what is called the safe harbor, uh, which currently is instituted from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And this is a time in which more adult programming may actually be aired on both radio and television, by the way. This is great. So why why is this uh, moment in radio history important to podcasting? It's important because part of that decision was yes to to ostensibly protect children. But also embedded in that was a notion that broadcasting is uniquely pervasive, right? That it's it's everywhere just about that you know most people own radios and televisions so that turning it on you know, and especially at the time in 1977, when maybe when maybe at best you had 12 TV channels in a big market, um, and you had maybe 20 radio stations at best, uh, you might be assaulted right. with 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 dirty words or sex talk or or, or excretory talk. Um, that 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 was something which people needed to be protected from, and that maybe if it were on late at night, then people would understand. Oh, that's a different time, more adult programming. Uh, they could have it, but but basically, this idea that we would we would try to protect people from from being uh from having to confront this stuff that they don't want to confront. Now, and I'm not I'm not saying that this is right or wrong, and I'm not saying that I'm not making any case that that broadcast should not try to 
move the public conversation yeah. forward by confronting difficult topics. This would be this would be a great topic for a different podcast with uh, Matthew Lassar and and one other guest. Sure, we could really get into it. Yeah, this so is this a good is one. so I'm not I'm not actually uh, saying that this is right or wrong, but I'm noting that right that that is the reason why a lot of shows will not be on the radio, even though. The safe harbor beginning at 10 p.m. would ostensibly mean any show that has profanity in it can right. be aired. And many community stations. And radio lyrics. I mean, and uh, song, song lyrics. lyrics. Yeah. And many community stations and college stations 10 p.m. take advantage of, of the safe harbor. But many are scared to. Many don't. Um, in part, there is always, I mean, there's always a little bit of fear and an uncertainty around this, right? And so some folks wonder if there isn't an upper limit. Meaning, can we still cross the line? Uh, there's no – in recent times, nobody has ever been fined for content after 10 p.m. or before 6 a.m. But I think people worry about it nevertheless, yeah, I mean, that, that it might be just too much and they don't know what the line is. And many stations also don't push don't push things because they also they, – they're concerned about community – Right. About community uh, opinion. Who needs the heat? Right. Because they're concerned that that a concerted campaign will nevertheless hurt the station, whether it was it results in action by the FCC or not, it might it might hurt them with uh, with funders, it might hurt them with underwriters, it may hurt them with with their listeners, and so many stations worry about it. Risk averse, and it seems to me one one of the interviews we'll hear this uh, from about uh, reading the Bible with Dan. Here's a show that if he didn't swear, like the swearing is it, it, right, he he could stop right, and and he could still have the show. That's I like sh- I like imagining reading the Bible Dan on an AM radio station. Right. Here's a show that that then would be completely copacetic with the FCC. The FCC only cares about sexual excretory functions. That's all they care about right. in terms of indecency. So it could air at three in the afternoon. But it seems to me that many stations would also have concerns because they would worry about again offending a constituency or stirring up yeah, a powerful constituency, stirring up people in a way that might detract from other things they do. Many stations, uh, I think, and many program directors say, "Well, you know, we're able to be very politically challenging. You know, we're able to air very outside the mainstream political views." Um, so let's not sacrifice that right. for 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 basically having <laughs> having sex jokes or or or, or poop jokes uh, or or being or, or you know being excessively savage about religion. But so with podcasting now, because of the fact you can't stumble on it, right? It is very different than radio, right? That. You know, probably most people who are going to listen to reading the Bible with Dan know what they're in for because they will see the description of the show. They will see a description of the uh, of the of the episode, or yeah, if they probably have it recommended to them by, or if a it's friend. recommended to them, they're, they're going to know what yeah. it's about. Or if it's recommended by a website, there's going to be context. It's yeah. very rare that right. you're that you're going to do that. And I get the sense I think he says so in his interview that Dan is not interested in foisting this show on people who are unprepared for it. No, uh, very much the opposite. He 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 would prefer that people that uh, yeah. He said he has said as much that, yeah. that he's not he's not in it to upset people. And so in this way, podcasting, while it is like radio, is also not like radio. And, uh, you know, in the same way that home video, mm-hmm. let's say DVDs or VHS is not like television. And so the home video explosion in the 80s, I think, is a lot like the podcasting explosion of now, because for the first time, I love this think piece, your average 
person, your average, you know, uh, viewer could access all sorts of video programming that simply did not exist before this, because the only way to get video programming was via television. This makes me think of Faces of Death. Right. Exactly. Right. Uh, a, a legendary a in legendary my pseudo documentary of of all sorts of gory death related subjects that would that would Which never have been on television. Probably tame, never would have been on HBO. Came in the age of the internet by by yeah, death, but shocking death visual standards. And, and you know, unrated. So never it never had to go in front of the MPAA. Never was in theaters. You know, really could only at that time exist. You know, as 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 video VHS. You know, even though there was such a thing as underground film before, the only way most people would see underground film is because they knew somebody who was going to show it because it had to be on film. You had to have a projector, you had a place to do that. You know, the trade in underground film, uh, there wasn't much of it until there was VHS, and now not only you know could. Uh, it wasn't a matter of you had to trade somebody or you know mail away to somebody out of the back of like Fangoria magazine to get this. Uh, you could walk down to the video store. And and maybe the, the the clerk might ask you to see ID. Might say, okay, if you're not eighteen, we won't rent this to you, or maybe not. Uh, it opened up these floodgates in different yeah. ways. How else this is stuff VHS to, like to be, podcasting? You know, well, I mean, in in a way that because of that, people selected what they wanted to watch. They were no longer, yeah. You didn't just flip it on. You you could go find something. A and lot as more a result specific. of that, and it was a choice, right? And so even then, you if you were looking at the box, you look at the box in in the store, right? Uh, and you would know what you were in for. There was no renting, uh, you know, there was no renting Faces of Death by accident and not knowing what you were in for. Um, certainly, I remember that occasionally there were these controversies you see in the news where somebody would would dub over a yeah. cassette with porn or something and, and, yeah. and, and, and return it to the store, right? That's, That's a, a good trick, moral panic. Yeah. Right? But it, but it would not happen by accident. Certainly, the pornography usually was in its own little section, right? It's like usually the, it's like with the a razor curtain. blade in the, in the candy right. apple. Exactly. The so all, all sections of in the in the Disney VHS. And for all intents and purposes, podcasting is like that. And it's not as if you didn't have challenging audio programming for certainly there were comedy albums, right? Existed. Um, but the idea that you would have, uh, you know, stuff that was much more serialized, you know, and, and produced in, in much greater numbers. Than, than records, mm-hmm. right? Uh, never mind just the the sort of the grassroots nature of podcasting changes that equation, right? And and it sort of changes both. Also, I think what it changes when we talk about things that might be discussing sex, might be discussing religion in a way that some would consider blasphemous or discusses out of mainstream topics, is that you also don't have to assume that people tuning in are utterly naive to what you're doing. Right. There's no need really to introduce them to it or to bookend it or just right. Because if again, even uh, most broadcasters, if they're going to air something which might have some sexual content at late at night, they're, they're going to warn you up, you know, constantly like we're, you know, after this time, we will play programming that 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 is challenging, et cetera. They'll probably have a lot of disclaimers and they'll do a lot to bring you along for the ride. Whereas I don't think these podcasts really need to do that or do that because if you're tuning in, you already get there. And and to me, that's what's interesting. So that's the frame here yeah. that I want to see this is that we have shows now that they wouldn't exist on the radio. One, yes, because of content and that many stations would be uh, concerned or be wary about airing it or perhaps the stations that would air it. There there aren't so many of them, one. And two, they might ha- – a program director or a programming committee might have more to say about it, 
right? They may want to provide notes. They may ask you to hew to certain right. lines because they're trying to not only avoid FCC intervention, but also want to make sure that that they're being respectful of their audience yeah. uh, in that way, even if they're willing to challenge their audience in another way. Uh, but podcasting has that ability to to be this kind of very boundary pushing, I think, in a lot of ways uh, because of because of yeah, the what status. Boundaries? Yeah, in a lot <laughs> at this point, which is you know unique to I think to this time in a lot of ways uh, because had I mean it's you can't really conceive of podcasting existing thirty years ago. Like, what would it have been like, and could it have been quite so cassette tapes so challenging being uh, which which they were left in, many in mailboxes at random, yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, but anyway, so I think that's the frame, and and that's where I want to put on and why after listening to it, I'm like, okay, so we have a way of looking at this now that helps us better understand podcasting and its relationship to radio and mass media in general and to see these parallels and to help us think about it because I think when we think about podcasting only as sort of a form of radio that's that's unregulated we lose some of its of its special qualities and also for podcasters in particular, um, then it's uh, by not thinking about these special qualities may cause you to be overly censorious of your own stuff. Censorious, uh, yes. self-censoring. Self-censoring um, or may also because uh, you, you fail to take into account the fact that um, you do kind of ha- need to have a sense of your audience, right. even if that audience is is an audience for things like uh, frank sexual talk, um, have a have a sense for that audience and and know how they can find you and you can find them because. Again, they're not just simply likely to stumble upon what it is you do. To get started, we're going to listen to three interviews. Uh, And uh, the first is with Dan Dan Weber. Dan Weber, who does Reading the Bible with Dan. He's going to tell us about the show. We're going to have a little piece of it. And uh, he'll explain a little bit why he does it and how he does it. Uh, Then uh, we're going to hear about a show called Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction, which is also a live show, right? It's a yes. live show that is turned into a, a podcast. And it's on the Nerdist uh, Podcasting yeah, Network. which is a big podcasting network, which is actually owned by a larger uh, motion picture company called Legendary Pictures. And then finally, we'll hear um, from Katie Mack uh, with the podcast Carnalcopia. And first up is Dan Weber with Reading the Bible with Dan. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Reading the Bible with Dan. My name is Dan Weber, and as always, I will be your reader today. Today, we are going to read Chapter 8. Of the book of Revelation, which is the continuing adventures of Yahweh the Executioner as he stomps the living shit out of a bunch of ants, namely human beings. Just because it's the end of times or like something happened, who the hell knows? Like, the one thing they don't really describe in here is why this has to happen at all, like why any of this really has to occur. Dan Weber, welcome to Radio Survivor. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, so your podcast is called Reading the Bible with Dan. That's correct. Yep. Yep, and you read the Bible. And so I I listened to several episodes, but I wasn't on board at the very beginning. So you can tell me cuz I don't know. Uh tell me about like how you started this work. I'd started doing comedy and I and I had a couple jokes about the Bible. And I had a lot of friends who were like atheist or whatever and i never really read the bible and i knew some other people who were who were ex-christians like me but they'd never really read the bible either and when i was a kid i read it all the way through a few times which is why i was no longer christian and so 
I thought it would be fun to read the Bible through again, but out loud and then make fun of it while I'm doing it, uh, which is pretty much, it, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a comedy duo where I've got this friend named Bible and he just says crazy shit all the time. And then I make fun of him for it. And that's, that's kind of what the podcast is all about. It took me six months to decide whether or not I was even going to do it, uh, primarily because the nature of the podcast itself could get me in trouble. <laughs> like, you know, if it, there, there's a possibility that if the people I work for found out that I was doing it, uh, they would fire me. Um, it might make me unhirable in some cases for some, in some, some places with some companies. And so I had to decide, like, is that something I really want to risk? And I just decided, sure. Like, I, you know, I, I walked into it without, I gave it a lot of forethought and then decided, yeah, this is something I want to do. And it's super fun. So what tipped the scales for you? How, why did you decide to take the risk? Uh, because I really didn't want fear to determine uh, what I was going to do or what I wasn't going to do for my own purposes, like for my own interest. And also, um, as as a person that started comedy late in life, uh, I felt like it would be wise for me to to specifically like target certain groups of people, right? And one certain group of people and people that were kept coming up to me after shows and talking to me were uh, people who had had been Christian and were no longer Christian. I'm just like, I'm just going to make a podcast for these people. And, uh, and hopefully that will help build a fan base for me, for people, uh, so that I can travel around the country and do comedy for them it, because of its very nature, it's never going to be popular, like, you know, like, but it's all like, there's going to be a certain group. There's a certain group of people who listen to every episode and yeah, wait for it to come out. So those are the kinds of people that I want to continue to target. I get that was part of it. And then part of it just, uh, you know, to tweak the nose of America's number one religion. Not necessarily the people who believe in it. Like, I try not to shit on Christians too much. But I definitely, definitely want them to realize, like, if they listen to it, I want them to know your book is insane. And <laughs> and so it's clear that you haven't read this book. So tell me tell me about uh, little Dan Weber the first time he read the Bible. I mean, I was like seven and, uh, you know, I didn't really, didn't really grasp much of what I read. I kind of skimmed it, you know, there's a lot of boring parts and my brain just didn't let me like read that. And even if I did, like I was seven, I didn't really get it. You know, I was just like, no one would ever lie to me about this book. It must be good. And I read it again at 11 and I was troubled by some of the things, but I kind of glossed it over. You know, once again, and then in high school, uh, at the age of 17, I read it one last time and I was like, oh, you know, it just planted way too many doubts in my head for me to continue uh, being Christian. I guess if people want to hear those those doubts, uh, yeah, spoken aloud, just check out your podcast. Yes. The underlying logic of some of the things, like the unspoken things that people are just gloss over or try to ignore entirely i'll i'll spend a great deal of time on the best example like in this latest podcast episode 
Um, I'm doing the book of Revelation right now, and it's talking about how, you know, Yahweh is stomping the shit out of the earth. And I'm just like, there's never any indication anywhere, never any explanation as to why this has to happen. Like, the Bible provides no information about this is why Armageddon should come about. Like, there's nothing in there about it. Doesn't explain himself whatsoever. It's just like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to burn the earth. How about that? And then I'm just, but why, why does that have to be the case? You know? And, and I think that that's something like, I just have never heard uh, anyone other than to say like, it's God's will, like, which is kind of a cop out. Like, why is this happening? Why does, why this in particular? Why did you do it this way? Why didn't you just, like, you've got unlimited power. Why didn't you just go end of the world and then done? There's no reason for all this theatrics. If you were 20 years older and, you know, you, you were coming to this conclusion that you needed to do this work uh, and podcasts hadn't been invented, like, what would you have done? It could, it could have been a live show. It would have been a live show. It could have been a it could have been a book, I guess. Uh, it would have been a live but show. But it, it might not have existed. It probably, it would have been much harder. It, it probably would have been a live show. I've done it live before, but I record it while I'm doing it. Right. It would have been a lot harder. Like, like podcasting most certainly makes it easy enough to be possible and not like life devouring. It's nice that there is a technology out there that lets me just put it out there like i just it's super it's ridiculously simple uh which is a super good thing it, it's nice that there's not a, a large number of boundaries but you're right if there wasn't podcasting uh it certainly wouldn't have been something that was on the radio or any cable show ever not great well dan weber uh thank you so much for joining us on radio survivor no we thank you very it. much for having me it was great Up next on this profane episode of Radio Survivor, we talk with Brian Cook of Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction. Here's a clip from his podcast, which was released last July, but was recorded about a month earlier, in front of a live audience in Los Angeles. Baron Vaughn is performing as Barack Obama, and Josh Androsky is impersonating Mark Marin. How do you feel about your legacy? Well, uh... That's a loaded question. I, uh... Thank you can best. I think the best you can hope for, uh, as a president, is to make incremental changes for the advancement of the American people and leave the country a little bit better than you found. Okay, but, like, be honest, man. Where do you feel like you failed? There has to be something that sticks out. You know, Mark, failure is a strong word. And there are a couple of areas that come to mind which I feel like I could have done better. Namely, uh, race relations and gay marriage, which is actually the main reason I wanted to come here today. How do you mean? Well, I could think of no better symbolic gesture than for my Secret Service agents to lay down their arms and for me, America's first black president, to allow a prominent male Jewish public figure, such as yourself, uh, to make love to me. What the fuck? Brian Cook, welcome to Radio Survivor. Thanks, man. Yeah, so your podcast, Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction, was it always a podcast or did it start as a live show? Uh, it started as a live show and is, you know, it's still every episode is recorded live. But the, 
I don't know, probably the first couple of months of it, I wasn't recording them yet. And so there's a few that were uh, lost before I started recording them. But then even about a, I guess about a year before I actually launched the podcast, I started recording every live show. So it goes back pretty far. It's essentially always been a podcast. Your your podcast is a live comedy event where the um, the writers, who are stand-up comedians, generally speaking, uh, are given uh, suggestions from the audience usually, and then they go backstage to uh, to write as fast as they can um, erotic fan fiction, which for people that don't know is usually where uh, characters that are owned by corporations or or, or individuals uh, or or actually uh, famous people are are put into uh, extremely sexual, pornographic, uh, and funny fictional situations. Yeah, that's the way the second half of the show works. But while those people are backstage uh, writing the stories, the the first half of the show is going on, which is uh, usually four. Other comedians have written pieces in advance. So round one, everybody has picked a topic on their own and come prepared with a piece. And while that's going on, the people have uh, who have chosen topics at the top of the show go backstage and they write. Uh, they usually have about 40 minutes to write their stories for round two. Right. And so... I, you know, I'm not a, I, I feel bad. I don't know anything about real life erotic fan fiction. Uh, it, it, this, this competitive erotic fan fiction is a little more on the comedy side than what, what usually exists on the internet. Are you I a, have absolutely no idea. Ha, why, why are you doing this then? Uh, I just think it's hilarious that, that it's a thing that exists in the first place. And yeah, there are people that take it seriously. Uh, I've never read anyone else's erotic fan fiction except like the first time I realized it existed and then kind of laughed at it and went, all right, that's dumb. And then uh, I had this idea for the show and, you know, making comedians write it is a whole different ball of wax. So it's, you know, it's not, it was not a hobby of mine. It wasn't something I was interested in in the least. It was just a a funny concept for a comedy show. Why did you want this to be a podcast and not just a a live event? If if you're going to put all the effort into putting on a show like this, because it's not, it's not like a stand-up show where comics might not want to burn their material by putting it out on a, pod- a podcast. Uh, this stuff, generally speaking, people write it, they read it once into a microphone, and then they never use it again. So, you know, on on the one hand, it kind of lives on in posterity this way, uh, gives the comics a little more exposure instead of just doing a one-off show, and also it promotes itself at that point. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I travel with it all over the country. And, I, you know, I always ask the crowd who's heard the podcast before, and uh, generally speaking, it's a, a healthy portion of the crowd. But every now and then I've done one where basically no one knew what the hell they were there for. Usually that's at a comedy club because sometimes people just go to comedy clubs to see what's going on. Same thing with festivals. Sometimes a festival audience just paid for their badge and they're just wandering around going shows and the name of it might sound interesting and they've never actually uh, heard it before. Um, or, you know, maybe they know some of the other bigger name comics that are on the show, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta, it's gotta be part of it for sure. The podcast element. Thanks to Brian Cook of competitive erotic fan fiction. Up next, we speak with Katie Mack of Carnal Copia, a podcast, which is a frank and open and honest, uh, conversation with her friend Ashley Manta about, uh, their sexuality. It's kind of fun to like perform, but not really perform because it's totally genuine and authentic. But to be able to share that with others, that's why I decided to do porn. 
What about you? I have enjoyed public sex in my life. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like up there on my list. You know, it's not something where I'm not going to be sitting around on a Saturday night with my cats. Like, you know what I haven't done in a while? Fucked in public. Katie Mack, welcome to Radio Survivor. Hi, thank you. So thanks for, I'm so glad you could join us. So your podcast is called Carnal Copia. Yes. And my label is sex positive. Mm-hmm. Is that, a, is that okay? Yeah, no, that, that sounds great. Okay, that's what I will call your podcast. And uh, I've recorded a series of interviews uh, recently, one with a guy that um, is, well, okay. I, I want to warn you that I'm lumping you into weird company. And, okay. then, and then allow you to define yourself. The The first guy I talked to, Dan Weber, is um, he it, his podcast is called Reading the Bible with Dan. And oh. so uh, Dan grew up Christian. And then mm-hmm. after the third time he read through the Bible, uh, first when he was a, a young child, second when he was a middle schooler, and third when he was a teenager in high school, the third time was the charm he quit. He quit his religion. And now as a grown man, uh, 30 years later, I suppose, he has this podcast where he reads the Bible and then makes fun of, makes fun of it. Uh, you know as, as a recovering Catholic, that actually sounds kind of fun. Okay, good. Second podcast that I've lumped you in with is uh, Brian Cook uh, has, a, has a show called Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction. Hmm. And I don't know if you would call this a sex positive podcast I, you know that's a fascinating mashup is sending you out on assignment to tell me what you think of brian <laughs> cook's uh competitive erotic fan fiction because it's really transgressive and it's very funny um and it's filthy it's filthy it couldn't possibly nice. be more filthy your podcast is like nothing your podcast is good morning america compared to competitive erotic fan fiction wow. because they're no, they're comedians they're comedians trying to get a rise out of an audience uh you know it's not it's not erotica mm-hmm. it's comedy <laughs> but and then i talked to you and and so it's all about these podcasts are i'm celebrating the fact that they exist and uh they i don't think they could exist uh without without podcasting God, I know, I know mine couldn't. That's <laughs> right. So tell us about yours a little bit. So my, you know, calling it sex positive feels really good for me. That's something that we kind of go for. Um, it is a sex and relationships podcast. So my co-host Ashley Manta has a background in sex ed and adult sex ed and teaches workshops and all of that. And my background was more in psychology and running group therapy and things like that. So when we decided to do this together, we decided that we wanted to talk about sex on, I'm going to call it just the radio broadly, Mm -hmm. because we were talking about it together so much. And there are only so many times you can be having a conversation with someone and say like, oh my God, we should be recording this (laughs) before you finally just do. Why? Why did you know that you needed to share it? Why couldn't it just be a conversation between friends? Because it just, we, we have so much fun in the way that we talk to each other that there was something about it that just felt like maybe somebody else could connect to this or for all the times that we'll tell each other something and have the other one scream, oh my God, me too. We just kind of felt like 
other people had to share our outlooks and and struggles and all of that. So we thought, one, that it would just be a lot of fun to do, but two, that we could probably wind up connecting with a lot of people. And we kind of stumbled into it. Originally, we came out on the, the Swing Set Network, which they are um, a non-monogamy podcast and they host a bunch of others. So they offered like, hey, we'll, we'll get you started and set you up. And it made it very easy <laughs> to just go right into it. And so have you found that to be true? Are you finding an audience uh, saying thank you? We are finding that audience and it was kind of, you know, for everything I just said about feeling like people have to feel like it, it was actually really surprising and gratifying to start getting that feedback. Actually, we started putting episodes out God, like last summer and when we went off on our own, you know, for a while we were being hosted by the Swing Set podcast. So we decided that we wanted to branch out and do it on our own and wound up taking like a four month hiatus while I figured out <laughs> how to do things myself and getting emails in that time. Like, when are you guys coming back? I missed this. Like I binge listened to everything you put out. I need some new shit. <laughs> like it, it felt really, really nice to have those suspicions validated that maybe a lot of these experiences are more universal than our, our shame lets us feel like in a moment. <laughs> That's something that is a radio show can accomplish, like uh, bringing together communities that that feel isolated. Um, yeah. But because you're talking so explicitly about <laughs> sexuality, you're you're crossing lines that would that keep you off the radio. What do you think you would lose if you uh, reined it in? Ninety percent of the fun that we have <laughs> is what we would lose if I had to walk that line. God, by those standards, we are not even a little bit decent. Um, here's the thing. We, we try to keep a balance, which is kind of my thing that I find really important about the show is that for every, you know, serious episode where we're talking about boundaries or healthy relationships, I want one that's fun. You know, that's like, those are the ear candy episodes. <laughs> and those are, God, we have done episodes on, can I curse on your podcast? I'm sorry. I've been trying so hard not uh, to. Go, go right ahead. Okay. <laughs> we want you to feel comfortable. Okay. I mean, we have done episodes on everything from like fucking squirting to anal. To we, the last episode I just put out yesterday was on sex in public. And, or, you know, God, we did one on our favorite sex toys or... Yeah. All of these topics, yeah, you could speak about them generically. Or I'm pretty sure if I had to walk that line, you just would have never heard so many metaphors. I, I can get creative if I have to. Mm -hmm. But we would lose that, that freedom to speak frankly right. about it. And that's where the real value comes in. I feel like especially when we're talking about sex – we've all got a lifetime of speaking delicately and using euphemisms or not having appropriate and adequate sex ed and all of these things that as adults, we don't walk around with common knowledge of because it's, it's indecent. So we can't talk about it is one of the things that matters the most to me about our episodes that 
are more explicit, even though they're designed to be fun and maybe a little bit sexy. It's still information, even if it's explicit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So tell me about podcasting. How how's it going? What do you guys what have you learned? Are you are you and your co-host in different cities? We are. We're on different coasts. Um I, I'm from New Jersey and my co-host lives in LA. What's her name again? Um Ashley Manta. Mm-hmm. Ashley Manta. So Ash lives in LA and it's <laughs> It's tricky at first. I mean, you've got a lot to schedule around different time zones and work schedules, as you know. It's, you know, it can be a little bit dicey. To me, it doesn't really matter that we're across the country because there's so many ways to do this digitally. Tell me about uh, what what podcasting has has changed. Like, what what's good about this recording? You know what we what we try to do. Again, the point of any kind of, I think, media art is in connecting. And that's really all we're trying to do. You know, this is this is fun for me. Uh, this has been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for sharing uh, just a little bit with us today. Yeah, totally. Thank you for having me. This is fun. I should have. Uh, <laughs> was there anything else you'd like to talk about? Because, you know, to be meta about your work. <laughs> No, you know what? I'm good. I think this is a really interesting topic and it's not one that I've explored in my own life. You know, I'm not a a radio radio person. I just jumped into podcasting and podcasting about this. So it gave it gave me a lot to think about in terms of my show and how we put it out. So that was that was a really cool little thought train to cool. hop on with you. <laughs> And so that last interview was with Katie Mack of the Carnal Copia uh, podcast. And we do have some follow-up on that one. Yeah, it turns out that uh, right around the time that we recorded that interview in November or December of 2015, uh, the Carnal Copia podcast stopped putting out new episodes. Did you episodes. scare them, Eric? Did I you have scare no them? Idea. Did I, you convince I, them not to do it anymore? I just reached out to Katie uh, yesterday to ask. But I did some digging, and she is still podcasting with the same people in the podcasting network that Carnal Copia was a part of and so she's a co-host of um i think it's called the swing set uh so it's an entire program. podcast network dedicated to non-monogamy which i mean again a very niche topic and which something you know in the past there might have been like a magazine you know a very much more underground publication but in a, a magazine or a zine dedicated to this topic let's Newsprint. say 20 30 years ago or, or photocopied photocopied or photocopied um you know and there might have been some kind of like you might have found a record somewhere, like like a, an instructional record or something, and you might have had talk. You might have had a discussion about non-monogamy, like that's the kind of talk I associate with Pacific or KPFA. There would have been a very nice, thoughtful discussion, you know, and it might have been a panel discussion with somebody who is an advocate of non-monogamy and somebody who is an advocate of, yeah. of traditional but marriage. The, the laughter would have been tamped down. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the sort of frank discussion of of practices yeah. uh, of all sorts probably would not have happened. All the fun would all. have been sucked out. <laughs> well, it would be a very different thing, right? Uh, you know, and 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 I can imagine, you know, there might have even been a VHS series, you know, <laughs> discussing uh, non-monogamy. We're going to have to get more into this VHS that you, you can mail order through the back yeah. of the zine, We're right? We're going to have to do more more. This is the second time that uh, Radio Survivor has gone down a real deep VHS rabbit hole that I feel there's more to explore 
in our minds. Well, I, I, you know, VHS was such an important moment in the creative life of our generations. Yes. So, uh, so there is a book you should read. Where is it? I have it. <laughs> I, I can't remember the name of it. Paul now. is scanning his copious radio and oh, media I, it, themed it is, bookshelves it, here in the I studios. Uh, what is it called now? Shit. So so Hold many. Hold on a second. I need oh, to okay. find it. It's going to kill me. <laughs> So we had to pause so I could go find this damn book because I for, I could not come up with the name. <laughs> Paul did some advanced Googling. And, and the hard part is when you can't remember the title or the author's name. And I don't know why. I just couldn't come up with it. Uh, it makes it difficult. But eventually uh, I did. And so it's called Inherent Vice, Bootleg Histories of Videotape and Copyright. And so huh. um, I think it's Duke University Press. And I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, the author is Lucas Hildebrand. We should get Lucas on the line someday. <laughs> he doesn't study this anymore. It was his doctoral dissertation. But what he does he think about podcasts? <laughs> he principally does queer studies, and he's quite brilliant. But the thing about this book... And, and we need to know what his favorite podcast is in 2016. Uh, well, it was a while. Yeah, right. I don't, he published this in, in, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, I think. So what, how is this related to what we've been talking about? Because it, it, it's about that culture, so the bootleg history. It's the way that, that VHS tape and the trading of tapes and all of the culture around VHS tapes... Uh-huh. Uh, you know the meaning and, and the formation of it, and so it, and this it, is outside of the rental. This is yeah, in many ways outside of rental. Yeah. I mean, again, I this reminds me of the um, but but also how you know it's like the early uses of VHS tapes, uh, where when VS, VCRs became available, which was before the Hollywood system had actually decided or learned how to how to really make money. They first saw it as a threat. Sure, as always. So there's the Betamax case of 1984, in which uh, the uh, in which the major uh, the MPAA sued Sony, uh, which at that time did not own a film studio like it does now, <laughs> uh, for the Betamax said it was an inf- uh, inherently infringing technology uh, because people could tape things off of television. Right. And therefore own movies and TV shows, uh, you know, or you could copy tapes. And, and that was and the, the Supreme Court said, no, the technology itself is not infringing. It may be used for infringing purposes, but it, it, the technology itself is not infringing. And it was only after that that the studios really started to embrace the idea they that could sell something on it, that they could sell something on but, it. Early video, early, early videotapes, like early movies cost hundreds of dollars. Yeah. That's why there was only a rental market. But before that, people were using them both to record their own things or record things off television and trade yeah. tapes and things like this before there was any sort but, of uh, you know, uh, commercial a, market. There's an extremely funny and very um, poignant because of the, because of the passage of time uh, sketch on the Mr. Show program where uh, it's all about the college dorm room experience of having someone run into the room and say, check this out right. and putting a VHS tape into the television and showing you something that was, um, unseeable before that moment which uh, now in the era of youtube would have been um yesterday's meme is now you know but but there yeah there was a time where young people especially could only see certain things if uh on some, a grainy yeah. you know multiply dubbed uh poor quality vhs tape that somebody had acquired somehow yeah. same thing with things i mean you know cassette tapes being traded the same yeah. way which i think i've mentioned on the podcast before is how uh legendarily uh the south park uh, pilot animation, the one that they made in college, was was first passed around 
via that uh, kind of mechanism. Yeah. yeah. VHS to VHS. Indeed. Distribution. Um, so, and, and I want to recommend this book also because it is one of the most beautifully written right. scholarly but- tomes that I've read in, in the last 15 years. And it is, it is his dissertation to think that his dissertation is not only so comprehensive and such a, a unique and useful take on the subject, but also fun to read. Readable. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't write readable. So, so uh, yeah, Lucas Hildebrand, if you happen, uh, <laughs> we'd love to have you on the show. I wonder, I wonder if it was successful at all within the realm of academia, if it was so easy to read. And why did you, why did this uh, spark a note with podcast? What is the similarity? Um, I mean, it's really the similarity between VHS and, and, and podcasting and sort of uh, how podcasting opened up these doors to all sorts of material. Um, and, you know, this one also tackles copyright. So that's a little bit outside the scope here uh, because people were often copying things or making mashups. Right, making yeah. uh, all sorts of video collage and things like this. Uh, but that day is coming too. I always wonder, like, here I am putting my podcast out there, and anyone could take it and mix it into their podcast. And I and would people be do. I mean, there's shows that do that yeah. in many ways. Um, but moreover, you know, podcasts that mix maybe other. So non-podcast culture, right, right into it. Who knows? Um, what would Cory Doctorow have to say about all this? I don't I think know. He wrote a he wrote a novel about it, is what he did. Yeah, but not podcasting. No, but it's it's still. But anyway, it's a good, uh, it's a good book. so I so I recommend this book as well as as part of that parallel as we went down the VHS rabbit hole. This, if you want to go further down that rabbit hole and read a beautifully written, uh, scholarly take on it, I recommend uh, Inherent Great. Vice by uh, Lucas Hildebrand. And I think uh, we should wrap it up here. We certainly have wrapped it. Up. So uh, exciting! Next week will be. Uh, the number 100 radio station tour that, that Jennifer will share with us. Hashtag 100, the numbers, 100 radio tours. Yeah, so if you if would you like have a guess. to, if you have a guess. And, or if you just want to discuss all of uh, these marvelous uh, tours that have been documented on Radio Survivor uh, by Jennifer Waits all these years. We'd love to hear from you. So uh, drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Of course, you can tweet us at Radio Survivor and our Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash radiosurvivor. We're easy to find. Thank you so much for spending this time and, and uh, going through and being willing to sit through uh, some naughty talk. Well, chances are if you, if you made it to the end, you liked it. Indeed. I, I would think so. So uh, <laughs> thank, thank you, nevertheless, for listening. Thank you, Eric, for, uh, for presenting this oh, with us. The lost episode is no longer lost. It's no longer lost. It is found, as are we. Adios, folks.